It's good to see you this evening. My name is Luke. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and we are going to be continuing our study through the book of 1 Timothy, looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you can turn it open, or you can follow along uh, on the screen behind me. 1 Timothy chapter 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Let's pray. Lord God, we recognize that this is your word. Lord, men wrote it. Paul was a man, and Paul wrote it. But Lord, this is your word. And through it, Lord, we know what you call us to. You care for your church, God, and you write instructions to us to know how to structure our church. So Lord, I pray that as we look at this text, that you would open our eyes to see what's there and to open our hearts to love it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we're continuing our study through the book of 1 Timothy, and we've gotten to the part where we're going to be looking at what the Bible says about overseers or about pastors. In this last year, really the last two years, going back to 2020, especially in my home culture, but I'm sure in many of your home cultures as well, it has been difficult for pastors. Part of this is because pastors are being asked to speak about things that they maybe haven't thought about before. They, people are going to them with questions, and they haven't wrestled through issues of politics, issues of how the church should relate to the state, issues of systemic injustice and historic acts of racism. All this has been taking place in my home country over the last two years, and it's been difficult for pastors to know how do we speak about this? What should we say? Should we say anything at all? You throw in the coronavirus and masks and whether or not we should prioritize our health over the body or prioritize the body over the health and how to balance that and help people walk through it, it's been a difficult year. Pastors in my home country have been under scrutiny for domineering leadership as well, sometimes rightly so. So there was this podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill Church. It was going on over this last year, and it was one of the most downloaded podcasts, not Christian podcasts, one of the most downloaded podcasts in my home country. And it followed the journey of a church that basically fell apart under a leader who was domineering and who hurt people with his leadership. And so pastors in my home country have had to process through that. Now, Pastors in the UAE have had a whole other set of difficulties as we've been working through this pandemic. Issues of changing government restrictions, preaching a mask, 
don't preach a mask. Green pass, not green pass. How do you not show partiality to the wealthy when the government is asking people to show green passes that cost 50 dirhams every two weeks to be able to get in here? Those are all challenges that pastors have to navigate. Meeting space. We are very thankful for the church center. We'd love to not be here. <laughs> We'd love to be back in the convention center. Pastors have had to lead churches that are more scattered at times than they are gathered. All of this has been difficult. I say that not to throw a pity party for pastors. I don't want you guys to come up and say, man, Luke must be really down. Let's go up and encourage him and tell him how good of a job he's doing. That's not why I bring this up. The reason I bring this up is because two questions should rise or have risen to the surface over the last couple years, whether they've been articulated or not. And that is, what are pastors for? What are pastors for? And what qualifies someone to be a pastor? What are pastors for, and what qualifies someone to be a pastor? 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 lays out the qualifications and a high-level job description for pastors, also called overseers. And the main thing that we're going to see in 1 Timothy 1 is this, or 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 is this. In order to faithfully serve in the good work of caring for God's church, overseers must be properly marked by God's value. Okay, my slides are not clicking ahead. In order to faithfully serve in the good work of caring for God's church, overseers must be properly marked by God's values. And to see this, we're going to look at three points. First, the good work of overseers. Second, the qualification for overseers. And third, the need for qualified overseers. You can kind of break this down or reword these in other ways of the good work of overseers. What do overseers do? The qualifications for overseers. What should overseers look like? And the need for qualified overseers. Why are overseers important? So with that, let's jump in the good work of overseers. Paul uses the word overseer in verse 1 in order to describe the people that he's going to be talking about. So we can see that here. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Literally, you could translate this. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone desires to be an overseer, he desires a good work. Thus, the good work of the overseer. Being an overseer, Paul says, it's a good work. It's a good thing to be an overseer, and if you want to be an overseer for the right reasons, that is a good desire. It's not wrong to want to be an overseer. It's a good thing. Some of our home cultures celebrate pastors. They are the influential ones in society. They have the biggest house. They drive the fanciest cars. They have crowds of people gathered around them. Some of our other home cultures minimize and downplay pastors. Like, oh, you're a pastor. Is that because you couldn't get another job? What Paul says is to be a pastor is a good work. And to want to be a pastor is a good work. But he doesn't use the word pastor here. He uses the word overseer. What is an overseer? An overseer 
is one way to talk about the same office in the church that Paul refers to. Paul uses three words to describe the office of overseer. He describes it as an elder in some places, he describes it as an overseer in our text, and he describes it as a shepherd in other places. Elder, overseer, shepherd. These are three different words, but they're all referring to the same office. The same office, right? So if you're talking about the president of the United States, he is the president of the United States, but also he is the leader of the armed forces as well, right? So you're not saying, wait, who are you talking about? That's the same office. It's a way of looking at it. One is for the rule of government, one is for the rule of military, but they're describing the same office that's there. We know that these words describe the same office because Paul uses them interchangeably. So 1 Timothy 3 has a parallel text in Titus 1, lists almost the exact same qualifications, almost the exact same job description. And just listen to how Paul describes the office that he's talking about in Titus 1. So in Titus 1, Paul's writing to Titus, and he says, This is why I left you at Crete, so that you may put in order what remained, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. So Titus isn't getting this letter and saying, whoa, I I thought I was supposed to appoint elders. Now you're talking about overseers. Titus recognized, when you say elder, you mean overseer. And in other texts of the scripture, we see pastor is used in the same way as well. But we haven't answered the question yet of what is an overseer. Simply put, an overseer is the leader of the local church, or the leaders of the local church. Elder, overseer, and shepherd all describe this office from different angles. So you can talk about an elder because the leaders are supposed to be spiritually mature. You talk about an overseer or The Old English translation for overseer is bishop. So this is where the word bishop comes from. Elder and bishop, biblically speaking, the same office. So churches that have bishops above elders, we would say, "Mm, that's actually describing the same thing. Bishops or overseers, you look at that and it says, well, these are the oversight that they practice, the the high-level leadership, the management of the church. And then when you look at shepherds, the word shepherd translated into Latin is pastor, which is where we get the term pastor. That's talking about the church as God's flock, describing it with a agricultural image there. But overseer, elder, shepherd are all talking about the same office, church leaders. And this is important to see that church leaders, elders, overseers, shepherds, they don't have to be paid by the church. Nowhere does it mention that churches need to be full-time as elders. Our church at Redeemer Alain, we have staff elders, so John and I are staff elders, but we also, up until a few months ago, had a lay elder, a bivocational elder named Pastor Al. Pastor Al and John and myself were the exact same office. We wielded the same authority right? Paid or unpaid, elders are the leaders of the church. That's who elders are. What do overseers do? So, overseers, uh, in our text, it's primarily 
talking about the qualifications, the characteristics of overseers. But by looking at these characteristics, these qualifications, you can understand what tasks they're supposed to perform. By looking at the qualifications, you get what job are you going to do. Imagine that I needed a plumber. So we've had some plumbing issues in our house, leaky pipes, a toilet that lets in cockroaches like a flood. We need a plumber to come in and fix it. If I were thinking, what am I looking for in a qualified plumber? I could think, well, he's got to be polite, right? So he's going to be around me, and I want to be able to interact with him. He's got to be polite. It would help if he spoke English, because I only speak English, and I'm weak like that. And so it would be helpful if he spoke some English where I could interact with him. And he's got to have just a charming personality, and I've got to be able to trust him. So four qualities, right? Those are really good qualities. So far, though, I haven't said anything about the task of plumbing. John, I think, fits all four of those qualities, right? I wouldn't trust John to fix my leaky pipes in our house. So if you're going to describe the qualification, you may want him to be polite. You may want him to have a good smile, to be trustworthy. But at some point, he's got to be able to fix a toilet. He's got to be able to fix leaky pipes. So as we look at these qualifications in the background, we get a sense of what tasks overseers are supposed to do. And here's some of what we see. Overseers care for God's church. We see that in verse 5. They must manage their own households well because that's how they will care for God's church. Overseers teach and instruct. Pastor John showed last week the connection between chapter 2, verse 12, teaching and exercising authority and oversight. Simply put, the primary way that elders exercise their authority is through teaching. That's because our authority is derived from the Bible. So we only have authority in so much as we teach what the Bible says. We are accountable to God for what the Bible says. So by opening this book, teaching and giving instruction from it, we have our authority. And this teaching is not merely public speaking. It's not merely getting up and reading notes or reading a manuscript. It involves careful reasoning. It involves the ability to discern what is true teaching, what is false teaching. Paul says this in Titus. He says, an elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So elders need to be able to reason. They need to be able to discern, to not just regurgitate information, but to be able to reason with even new false teachings that may come in and discern what is right and what is wrong. Now, this teaching can take place in a larger setting like this room, or it can take place in a smaller setting, in a one-on-one -on -one setting or in a small group setting. But elders must be able to teach because teaching is one of the primary things that elders do. And then finally, elders model Christian maturity. Most of these qualifications are intended to have elders serve as a model for them. And we know this because of Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of life. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So you are supposed to be able to look at elders and to want to imitate us, 
because we model what it looks like to follow Jesus. If elders are not modeling what it looks like to follow Jesus, then they are not doing their job. So that's the good work of the overseer. Let's look next at the qualifications for overseers. As I already mentioned, this passage is primarily concerned with the qualifications. How do you know whether someone should be an elder, whether someone should be an overseer? You can kind of summarize what Paul's going to say here as wanting to be an overseer is a good thing, but you have to have the qualities mentioned here, right? If you don't have the qualities mentioned here, then you are not fit to be an overseer. And as I mentioned, these qualities correspond with the responsibilities that we looked at, caring for the church, teaching, and modeling Christian maturity. When we stop and think about it, when we read through this list, this is a common list. I'm sure many of you are very familiar with this passage. What is kind of remarkable when we read through this list is how ordinary these qualifications are. I was really helped by a scholar named D.A. Carson. D.A. Carson says, the most remarkable feature of this list is that it is unremarkable. It contains nothing about intelligence, decisiveness, drive, wealth, power. Almost everything on the list is elsewhere in the New Testament required of all believers. When you look at the person who needs to be an overseer, they need to be able to teach, but that doesn't mean they need to be the smartest person in the room, right? They need to be able to manage their household well. That doesn't mean they need to be a CEO of a company. When you look at the qualifications, these are qualifications that all Christians, for the most part, should aspire to. What's remarkable about these is how ordinary they are. So what we're going to do is we're just going to spend the next number of minutes walking through this list and commenting on each qualification as needed. I thought about different ways that you can do this, but I think it's helpful for us, especially with all these distortions on what pastors are for. It's helpful for us to be able to hear point by point by point the sort of things that God values in pastors, even if they're not the sort of things that our culture might value in pastors. So let's begin with verse 2. An overseer must be above reproach. This is an overarching statement. It doesn't mean you need to be blameless in terms of there's no guilt or fault at all. You're never sinned whatsoever. But it does mean that you need to be blameless in the Old Testament sense of the word, which is you are living a life that lines up with God's commands, that people can look to you and they can say, you know, he's not a perfect person, but his life matches what God calls us to. I can't hold anything against him. When he sins, he repents of his sin. Above reproach. Second, you see there, the husband of one wife. Pastor John last week showed us from chapter 2 that the public teaching of the church, the exercising authority through teaching of the church, is restricted and reserved for men. When Paul writes this, he grounds it not in his culture, but he grounds it in creation. He goes back to the garden and the way that God made Adam and Eve. 
If you didn't have a chance to listen to that sermon, I'd encourage you to go back and uh, listen to it on our website. You can access it there. Um, If you have any questions from that sermon, I'd encourage you to come talk to us afterwards. If you do, the takeaway from this is when it says husband of one wife, it's not saying that he needs to be a married man. So if he is saying he needs to be a man here, that it's reserved for men in the role of overseer, but it's not saying that it needs to be a married man. Literally, the term is one woman man, and it's describing the type of a man that he needs to be. So you think of Jesus. Jesus wasn't married. We don't know if the apostle Paul was ever married. We don't know if Timothy was ever married. So these people who are putting overseers in place may not have been married at all. So it's not saying he needs to be married, but it is saying he needs to be pure. He needs to live a life of purity. If he is married, then he needs to be devoted to his wife in holiness and purity, holding the marriage bed in honor. And if he is not married, then he needs to be single-mindedly devoted to God and living a life that is free from sexual sin. A husband of one wife, the one woman man, means that we need to have elders who model sexual purity, who model devotion to God, who model covenant faithfulness. Third, sober-minded overseers whose thinking reflects reality. They're not irrational, they're not casual, they don't follow conspiracy theories, their thinking reflects reality. Self-controlled, they're living is disciplined. It's measured and appropriate. They can control their bodies. Respectable, they live lives that are honorable, that you should be able to look at a pastor and respect the pastor because of the way that he lives his life. Next, hospitable. Welcoming others into your life and welcoming others into your home. God calls overseers to be relational people. This is one of the reasons why the word shepherd is another way of describing overseers. Shepherds walk with the sheep. They don't delegate shepherding. They are the shepherds who walk with the sheep. Overseers need to be hospitable because they need to have people in their lives, and they need to be in the lives of other people. I've heard from a handful of you that in your home countries, pastors would never be seen with ordinary church members. Maybe the high givers in the church, but not the ordinary church members, right? They may even have their own bodyguard to kind of prevent people from getting to them. Well, that would be a clear neglect of this qualification, that they need to be hospitable. They need to welcome people into their life and home. Seven, able to teach. We looked at this one already. This is one of the few qualifications that don't apply to all Christians. Teaching is a gift. It's not something that all Christians need to be able to have. But an overseer, because his primary job is teaching and instruction, does need to have it. Overseers need to be able to open the Bible and explain it in a way that builds up the church to maturity in Christ. They do not need a seminary education, as helpful as that may be, but they do need to be faithful to the word. Next, not a drunkard. Note, it doesn't say that overseers can't drink, but it says that if they are going to drink, they must drink in a way that is temperate, that is disciplined, that is self-controlled. They should not be a drunkard. Not violent, but gentle. 
Overseers are to be gentle, not domineering to the church. They shouldn't get up and yell at people. They shouldn't pressure people into submission. They should be gentle, walking alongside people in love. Not quarrelsome. They shouldn't be argumentative. They should be self-controlled with their words. Not a lover of money. Overseers are to value heavenly treasure more than earthly treasure. They should be marked by an otherworldliness and a life that reflects that they don't love money. They may have money, but they don't love money. They're not putting their hope in money. In verses 4 and 7, we get more explicit rationale behind. We get three commands, so we kind of got a whole bunch right there. In verses 4 through 7, we get these unpacked a little bit more. It says, He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? If a man has children, I said he doesn't have to to be an overseer, but if a man has children, you should be able to look at the way that he relates to his family and determine whether this is a man that you would trust with the leadership of the church. I've said this to a number of people when I've met with them one-on-one. Our families see the best of us and the worst of us. Most of the time, Redeemer Alain, you see the best of me. Sometimes that's not very good, and I apologize for that, but you're seeing me in a way that is cognizant of what you're looking at, what you're thinking. I'm working. I'm paying attention. I'm being careful. I'm being reasoned. When I go home, my wife can see an even better version of me, right? I'll live with my kids in a way that I would never let any of you see me. My kids will play with me, and we'll be silly, and we'll be goofy in a way that I would never show you, but my wife can also see the worst of me when I'm impatient, when I'm frustrated, when I'm sharp-tongued, when I'm pouty. When looking at an overseer's life, she should be able to wait, look at the way his children relate to him and his wife relate to him and think, do they relate to him in a way that respects him? If you wouldn't trust this man to lead his family well, then you shouldn't trust him to lead God's family Next, he must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. This is saying he must not be a new convert because immature people don't handle authority and power well. Instead, you must demonstrate faithfulness and maturity. Now, Paul doesn't put an age bracket on this. He doesn't say six months, one year, ten years. But he does say demonstrated faithfulness here. And you can see why. He may be given to pride and conceit and fall the same way that Satan fell. We can just think about this. How many teenage celebrities, right? So in my culture, we tend to love teenage celebrities, right? They're on the movies, and now we have YouTube stars and everything like that. How many teenage celebrities have lives that you genuinely think, I'd want that for my kids, when you look at them 15 years after they become famous. Most of the time, these teenage celebrities are a train wreck. Why is that? Immature people don't handle fame and power well. We should be looking for men who are mature, not a recent convert, 
lest they fall into the condemnation of the devil. Last one here. Moreover, he must well be thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This doesn't mean that outsiders will only ever speak well of overseers, right? So the New Testament assumes that Christians will be slandered. But what it does mean is that when outsiders, if they speak ill of overseers, it doesn't stick. That others can look at their lives and can say, no, you may be saying that, but they're living in a life that actually is putting you to shame. We should be well respected in our communities, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, by people who are both believers and people who are not believers. With a few exceptions, all of these are character traits. They're all describing not what an overseer does, but who an overseer is. God cares far more about an overseer's character than his skills. You can be the best teacher in the world. You can be able to do TED Talk after TED Talk. That doesn't qualify you to be an overseer alone. You can be the highest rank in your company, right? The most successful person of your family. That in itself doesn't qualify you to be an overseer. God calls pastors, overseers, elders, to be men shaped by what God loves and what God values. God calls pastors and overseers to be imitators of Jesus. Jesus is our example for how to lead the church. You, you look through this list and you think, there is one man who seems to embody all of these characteristics, and that is Christ himself. Right? Christ himself is our example. He is the chief shepherd. We are under shepherds. We look to him for how we lead the church. We don't dominate because Jesus doesn't dominate. We are gentle because Jesus is gentle and lowly. Right? We're patient with people. We're self-controlled. We're hospitable because we're looking at Christ for our example. But Jesus is not just our example for how to lead the church. He is also the way in which overseers will lead the church. You cannot imitate Christ by mere willpower. You can't read this list and think, that's it. I'm getting out my to-do list. I'm going to jot down all my tasks and by strength of will, I will look like this. You won't, because you're a sinner. Overseers are sinners. Overseers need to repent. But what overseers have recognized is that by what John preached two weeks ago, abiding with Christ, by looking at who Christ is, spending time with Christ, resting in the finished work of Christ, knowing that when we sin, Christ pays for it on the cross, and that when we turn to him in faith, we will never be turned away. And as we spend time with Jesus, communing with him, walking with him, we begin to be conformed to his image. Churches should look for Christ-likeness in their pastors. And those who aspire to the good work of overseeing should aspire to Christ-likeness as well. Third, we're going to look at the need for qualified overseers as we end. Why do overseers matter? So we've been talking a lot about overseers, but some of you may be wondering, 
why do we even have, other than the fact the Bible says, why do we even have overseers? We have the Bible after all, right? I preached a sermon the last time I preached saying the Bible is sufficient. Why do we need overseers at all? Well, there's two reasons at least that I can give. The first is that godly leaders help the church grow in the right ways. Godly leaders help the church grow in the right ways. There are a lot of wrong ways that you can grow a church. Pastors can be concerned about fame. Pastors can be concerned about status, about power, about money. When overseers are godly, they are growing the church in Christ-likeness. When I pray for Redeemer Alain, I do pray that our church would grow numerically, that people would come to know Jesus in this city, but the main thing that I pray is that you would grow into maturity in Christ. We could be this size forever, or we could be smaller, but if our members were growing to look like Jesus, that's what I would want from my heart of hearts, that you would model maturity in Christ. Qualified leaders help the church grow by valuing the right things that God values and modeling the right things that God values. They help the church grow in the right way. And second, godly leaders help the church fulfill its mission. A church led by qualified leaders is a witness to the world. That's the danger of putting a new convert in that position or by putting someone who is not well-respected by outsiders, that it becomes a disgrace, that the world looks at it and the world thinks the church doesn't have anything we don't have. Unqualified leaders bring shame upon the church, but qualified leaders who lead in the right ways help the church fulfill its mission. I'll never forget, I had a professor in seminary who was talking about church structures, and he said, you can have a lot of different ways of structuring your church, Anglican, Presbyterian, Baptistic, but when you look at it, it's not that all are right. One of them's right, one of them's wrong, but the main thing that's important is godly leaders. If you have godly leaders in any structure, then the church can be healthy, and if you put ungodly leaders in the perfect structure, the church will not be healthy. That's because qualified leaders help us witness to the outside world. At Redeemer Lane, we care about church planting. We ourselves are a church plant from Redeemer Church of Dubai. We have been involved in church planting and supporting other church plants, sending Pastor Blaine to Kuwait to plant Redeemer Fellowship Kuwait. Many of our members in our church long to see churches planted among other people groups in the city. If this is the case, that we care about church planting, then we should also care about godly, qualified leaders being discipled and raised up into maturity in Christ. We can not short-circuit godliness, right? You can't make someone godliness on a fast track. We can pray, we can model, we can teach. My prayer is that some of you men in this room who have that heart, would want to model what that looked like by aspiring for oversight at Redeemer, to be able to model for the nations, what does it look like to be a godly leader? What does it look like to have a qualified leadership? Please pray for our church. It's no secret that we have lost two elders over the last year, 
We have Pastor John. We have myself. We've been praying and we'll continue to pray. It is a good work to do the office of overseer. And we are thankful for our members where we would love to be able to have fellow laborers to do it. So please pray. And as I mentioned, if you're a man, aspire to the office of overseer. It is a good work to aspire to. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your church and thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that as we continue to sing and worship you, that Lord, you would help us to do so in faith. Not just saying words, but trusting the words that we sing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.